Welcome to the College Knowledge Podcast, sponsored by the College Planning Network and Paradigm Financial Group. Whether you're searching for that right fit college, applying to college, or figuring out how you're going to afford it all, you're in the right place. You'll hear from deans, admissions counselors, student athletes, and scholars from esteemed universities and colleges around the country. We'll dig deep to uncover their insight and unique experiences. So whether you're a student gearing up for college or a parent with college-bound kids, sit back, relax, and listen. Like you, we have lots of questions. Our guests have the answers, and we're excited to share them with you. Let's get started. Thank you guys for being a part of College Knowledge. As you know, it's part of our mission to help you guys. So please send any questions you have to us at info at collegeknowledge.net. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the College Knowledge Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Kozak. Unfortunately, Mr. Joe Kearns uh, is not available today as the co-host. But uh, regardless of that, we are speaking with uh, someone who I respect very deeply in the financial planning arena and uh, who's been a mentor to so many. And his name is Mark Willis. Mark, welcome to the show. I don't know if we, we haven't cross-capitulated all the different episodes that we've done together, but we're going we're gonna to kind of tie everything together today. So welcome. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. Yeah. So Mark, you're a CFP. You're the host of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. You're a best-selling author. You've been in the arena of financial planning for a long time. Um, we talked on your show when I came on about you know how we plan for college and how we use kind of that bank on yourself concept. Um, can you give us kind of the lay of the land of your belief in financial planning and and where you stand and and what what uh, what you try and do for families as you go through the planning process? Well, um, you say belief in financial planning. I got to say it's hard to believe in something that almost does not exist, and that's Agreed. exactly what's the case with most people. There is no financial plan for most people. So it's hard to believe in something that doesn't exist. In fact, I saw that less than 1% of any fin- any American has a financial plan, not planner, mm-hmm. just plan. Okay. Yeah. So that to me shakes me to my bones because if you, what is the old phrase? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Fail. Yeah. Uh, that's unfortunately the case with too many Americans. And uh, I think the recent statistic on 401ks, for example, for a 50 year old, is no more than about $150,000 is the Mm -hmm. balance of a 401k in your 50s. Mm -hmm. Now, Dave, you know quite a bit about this sort of thing. What kind of income, what kind of benefit are we going to get from a 401k with just maybe 150, 200 grand in it? You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Yeah, it's a simple simple truth. So as far as uh, the people who do have financial plans or planners, the unfortunate truth there is too often they're following the same conventional wisdom that you hear on your CNBCs and your squawk boxes, yeah. right? And that just means that most people are going to be throwing money into things they can't control, don't access, and don't understand. Uh, yeah. And as they pummel toward a retirement that they have no control over, uh, with a 401k that'll be taxed as they enter into retirement when taxes may or may not be higher, depending on where the country goes. So this wow. is sort of the matrix of, you know, let's just say a stuff storm that we're all having to deal with right now uh, yeah. as we work with many clients. The most people just say, Mark, I throw up my hands. I don't have any, what, what, are, what are my options? You know, where should I yeah. put my money? That's what I'm hearing over and over again. Mark, where's the best place for me to put my money? So you made a comment about, uh, you know, 1% have a, have a plan. And I want to make a distinguishing remark right now that is the difference between a plan and a planner 
or an advisor or someone who is making money on your money, right? Because at the end of the day, I, I don't care if, if you have a giant firm or you're a big bank or you're what a plan is executable, practicable, repeatable. It is something that you can go to and say, this is what I need to do. And I think your point is, is resounding in the fact that you may have someone who you are paying to do something, but is the job actually getting done? And I think the reality is it, it's not. And, um, you know, fi- financial institutions are powerful beasts. Um, so how do you start to combat that with clients? Well, first we have to look at the math and, you know, it's sort of like looking, looking under that old rotting fallen tree, you know, you're going to find all kinds of bugs and grubs and worms and all sorts of weird stuff. Uh, so we just start looking at the math and we say, all right, where are we today? It's again, it's sort of like the GPS in our cars, or it's like the, the, you are here sign that at, uh, that used to be at this thing we used to call a mall, uh, mm-hmm. at the map, you know? Uh, so you figure out where you are and then you yeah. start taking one baby step at a time to get to where you want to go. Uh, and, and many times it starts looking at things like volatility of the market. Mm-hmm. What's that going to be like for you? Mm-hmm. Fees, you brought up fees. You know, I just spoke with a client the other day. He had lost 15% of his $800,000 account. So well done for him being way above the average, but he lost 15% of it this last year when the markets mm-hmm. were down. And yet the advisor was still collecting their fee. Yeah. You know, a guaranteed payment to them. Right. So, you know, we talk about fees, we talk about volatility, we talk about taxes in the future. And most folks have never really sat down and said, well, how is my 401k going to be taxed in retirement? And am I okay with that? And do I want to pay those taxes? So these are some of the, I guess, grub worms and, uh, you know, bugs and things that we're figuring out underneath the, the accounts as we lift them up for the first time. And yep. then we, we finish it with really just asking us some simple questions, uh, a question that really uh, gets to the root, I think, of where people end up going, which is, hey, if you could just wave a magic wand, if you could be hope of money for the day and create a brand new legal financial vehicle, what sort of characteristics or attributes, you know, what, what kind of functions would you want your money to have? If mm-hmm. you could just paint with your own magic brush and create a brand new financial vehicle, what sort of uh, characteristics would you want your money to have? How would you want it to act for you? Rather than you working as hard for your money as you do, let's let your money work hard for you. So what kind of activities do you want your money doing for you? And you know, candidly, Dave, that that gets people on their heels and it starts them wondering, well, what what do I want? What do I truly want? And that's a hard thing for some people to answer right away, but give them a few minutes and they're, they're describing things that you know, would help give them freedom and, uh, confidence. Yeah. There's a, there's a book I read, uh, a while back, uh, probably I'm, I'm trying to think who sent it to me. It was called killing sacred cows. Uh, it, and I thought it was just a tremendous way to look at the noise that's out there. And, you know, it, it's obviously the idea of killing a sacred cow is, you know, what are you doing wrong and why are you doing that? And why do you believe in things that, you know, are, are they really sacred? And so, one of those is that 401k piece you talk about or the IRAs or, or the market-based security investment in deferred retirement, right? Mm-hmm. So when the, the question I'm constantly asking, and we're going to tie all this to college in a minute, but I, I love picking Mark's brain because he is, he is uh, resoundingly knowledgeable about this stuff. 
we can assume, right? And and I'll look for your expert opinion here is that taxes are going to go up at least at $31.5 trillion of debt with, you know, the only real means to repay it is taxation on the citizen. Uh, I would assume taxes are going up. Is that an assumption you make as well? Well, I, I, I think you're right. I think the, the, uh, I don't care what your politics are. Agreed. Uh, the, the only party that will win, not, maybe not this election, maybe not next, but ultimately the only party that wins is the math party. Yep. And you're exactly right with that much debt. Where else are they going to get the money? Is it going to be from people who don't have, or is it going to be from people who do have? Yeah. And that erosion factor, you know, everybody talks about the silent killer of inflation and all that. And that's and real. But the erosion factor of taxation on retirement is incredibly large, right? And I always use the example when I'm talking to families about, and, and this is in, even in the college arena, well, you have a 529, right? So let's use the, you could, in my opinion, a, um, a 529 and a, an IRA can be comparative, right? The only difference is if you use the 529 for qualified education expenses, you get the tax-free. So let's call it a Roth IRA then, right? Great. Roth IRA, I think, is a great vehicle, but you put the money in and you're 65 and you pull the trigger to retire and last year happens that day. That day, everything goes south. You're then only eating in to your benefit, right? And so what's the tax avoidance mechanism that you actually created there? Mm, yeah. Right? There's, there's really is none. And so I have all these families right now with 529s that they were 150,000 and now they're down to 115. And you're going, okay, well, the only thing you ate away at was the tax-free benefit, right? That's the, and so now, and, and then you're going to have to pull from a different resource pile. And I think that's, that's the correlation I want to bring in. When you're planning with someone and they have, you know, they, they don't have the liquidity necessary or they don't have what they need to spend, they're going to have to tap a different resource, right? There's no option. And if they don't have an additional resource or they don't have something that's protected or they don't have some other nest egg, how do they go about doing it? And I think that's what comes down when you, when we're talking in the beginning about planner versus a plan versus a advisor, whatever, the plan is what gives that stability to it, right? So enough of the pattering around, what do we like to, to use as a, uh, a vehicle for that? And, and why don't we, why don't we do the exercise where you ask me what I want in a financial vehicle? Yeah, man. And, Let's do it. Let's uh, have a little fun. You can be the guinea pig, whatever. We can yeah. go back and forth. That's fine. So sure. let's pretend that we're Jerome Powell. You know, we okay. got the we got the magic wand. Yep. We can do whatever we want. The money can activate and it's like Transformers time for the money, okay? It can do yep. whatever we want it to do. We can have it act any way we want. It it doesn't need to even be realistic. Just let's go nuts here for a minute without any yeah. preconceived notions of how money is you know, what, what labels are going to be, you know, yep. let's not use labels. Let's not even use nouns as much as we can, you know, as much as we can, let's focus on verbs and adjectives. So I'll start us off and I'll throw it over to you. You pass it back to me. How about that? So how Perfect. about, I want my money to be totally tax free. Give it to mm. me without the government taking their piece. That's what I want. Um, I'll Love pass it. it over to you, man. What, what are some that you want? I want it to grow, grow, rock and roll. Yeah. All right. How about I want it totally private. I don't want anybody else, whether the government or anybody else, able to see what I have. If I want to keep it locked up or behind a curtain or behind a steel steel trap, I don't need courts, lawsuits, 
Um, creditors coming after my money. That's mine. All right, back to you, my friend. Uh, I want to be able to use it when I want to use it, how I want to use it without uh, stipulations on my age or my, my financial position at the time. Sweet. That's 100%. Yeah, access to the cash. You kind of got to believe as a business owner, I'm sure that's huge for you, but I'm sure as a family man too, that's important. Um, how about, how about uh, passive income? I want to be able to have this thing generate some money for me when I'm no longer able to work. So having a stream of money that I don't have to worry about, you know, as soon as possible without really um, worrying about having to go earn that money for the paycheck. Yeah. Uh, Love it. Um, I think something else that's very important as I, as I age and as I work with older families, I want the money to go to whom I want it to go to without interference. There you go. On the pathway. Succession wise. Right. Man, I, I love that. You know, thinking long range, thinking multiple generations into the future. You know, what's this money for if it's not for the people that we care the most about? So, yep. you know, there's so much more. What about, bar, you know, using it as collateral where I can take the least amount of money and create the most amount of wealth? You know, yep. if, I, if I have to sock away every dollar I'll ever use, I'll never get to my goals. I need my money to be collateralized and used as collateral leverage. Uh, mm-hmm. But only in one direction. I don't want this leverage coming back on me. So many people yeah. borrow from, I won't use any nouns, but they'll borrow. Okay. Uh, and then they end up having the leverage turned against them and they get their stuff repossessed or whatever. So I want the collateral to be under my control and I want to be able to control the process while still leveraging for the most amount of wealth. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm having fun. You, you got one more maybe, or are we all set? I, if, if, if it does all of that, I'm good. Yeah. I'm kind right? of wondering I mean, that, if we're like going to get shut down, if this is like illegal. I mean, it feels almost uh, difficult to even think this way, right? Most people yeah. don't think, wow, what's possible? They think, oh, I'm told, here's what I'm told to do. Go get yep. your 401k, go get your your 529 plan, go get your Roth IRA, go get yourself some crypto because it's cool. You know, yep. they, they're just told this and they just keep grabbing these accounts and throwing it in their backpack. And then they just carry on with life and it starts to weigh them down. And none of it has anything to do with what their goals are, what they're trying to accomplish. You know, I kind of talk about it sort of like you grab a a handful from your backpack, you get all these little pebbles in your hand, Mm -hmm. these little accounts, this brokerage account, this, this thing you've had, this credit card you've had since college. You're like, why do I even have this stuff? And you take this handful of pebbles and you try to throw it through a glass window to break Mm -hmm. through to your goals. But what happens when you throw a bunch of pebbles at a glass window? It, it just bounce back. bounces off. Yeah. There's no yep. focus. But if you had one big rock weighing the same and launch it at that same glass window, crash, you know, you're through, yeah. you've broken through. That's what I think could be possible for more Americans if they just knew where to look for their money. I have one more. I want to guarantee that my money's going to be there. There I you want, go. I want it to grow, but I want that guarantee that, hey, I'm not, I don't have to worry about it. Right. And, and I'll, I'll say this more specifically today than ever before with banks failing with things like this, this, all of a sudden you get very scared of like, should I just hold cash and put it in my, in my safe or put it under my mattress? Because, and then, you, you know, you've got the inflation factor. You're like, well, then I'm losing money. And so the idea behind that guarantee, I think is critical too, because everybody gets scared when the noise is loud, enough, right? If you yeah. hear it loud enough. It, it's going to scare you. It's going it, to, and it's going to make you skittish. And I think we have a lot of people that are skittish about money. right? Now. 
Yeah, you're telling me, man. And and I want I, I want the same things. And you know what's so crazy is that when I ask clients this question, it's very it's eerily similar how how much they want the same things you and I just said. And I bet if your listeners did nothing else with this episode but pause it and then take five minutes and just grab a you know legal pad and just scratch down what you would answer to that question, what do I want my money doing for me? It may be that you have similar answers too. I I'd pressure folks to just try it, see what happens, ex- experiment, right? So yeah. anyway, let's let the cat out of the bag. I didn't like whole life insurance when I stumbled into financial planning. I was I, actually I was very against it. I thought that me it also, was a me a, also. Yeah, you too. Okay. Yes, sir. <laughs> it was it was something I had been it had been bored into my skull from our friend Mister uh, uh, Rave Damsey. I'll just call him. By that name? Okay. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, and he, you know, he and many financial infotainers made it clear that we were supposed to feel disgust anytime you heard the words whole life insurance. Well, yep. as I stumbled through the certified financial planning designation, and as I dug into this tool of dividend paying whole life insurance, it became more and more compelling to me. I thought to myself, why wasn't I taught this? Why wasn't this, you know, presented to me when I was like in fifth grade. Why shouldn't this be something that everybody hears about? Because in essence, it checks all the boxes of what you and I just talked about. Correct. And I promise as I was going through that, I was trying my best to just think blue sky. I wasn't trying to lead us down a path. This is literally how whole life insurance has existed and worked for hundreds of years. Um, So what's been your experience with with whole life? I I want to reiterate one thing before I give you my experience, but this is the certified financial planner designation that requires uh, 14,000 hours of experience in the field of planning. It requires you take six college planning courses. It requires you take a keystone uh, course on top of that. It requires that you pass a full day, basically, exam to get this. And this is the gold standard of fiduciary responsibility and financial planning responsibility in this country, the CFP. And it's not talked about in any way, shape, or form throughout that entire thing. Now, unfortunately, I didn't finish the program, but I should have. I and the reason I didn't, I, I bought a company in the middle and had to address some other things. You were running a business, I'll, my friend. Yeah. I'll I'll be back to it. So all that being said, I was in the same boat. I got recruited by an insurance company and I got my series six, my series 63, my ability to sell variable annuities, mutual funds. And, and, you know, my dad handed me a book when I graduated college called Bogleheads, which is yep. uh, Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard's, uh, I, I, uh, ideals on, um, index mutual fund philosophies and all that and risk and the long term and, and letting it roll. And I also had that stigma that it's, Stay away from life insurance, life insurance, buy term, invest the difference, the old Gabe Damsey, right? Yep. <laughs> um, and you know, at the end of the day, as I dug in to planning and I dug into planning, I realized, and and I will I will make note that I am product agnostic. I mm-hmm. do not care about the products themselves. I care about the actual application of the tool because every single financial vehicle, every life insurance policy or iteration of a life insurance policy, every mutual fund portfolio, annuity. All of them were created for some purpose, right? And they all have applicable purposes in different arenas. What what I found to be true is that we 
try and force a square peg in a round hole every step along the way as we're doing, right? And this is no more true in the retirement arena than it is in the college arena and the pre-retirement arena, right? Wealth preservation and wealth transfer and all of that. Everybody's trying to use these very, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if they're just the loudest voices to do these things, right? So I dug in the same way you did, Mark, and it is an astonishing realization when you get it. And the applicability of the non-direct recognition participating whole life is how I refer to it, but same, same, same concept, right? The dividend mm-hmm. producing whole life insurance. The use case applications are, are extensive in every area. We always talk about it as a foundational component of a true financial plan. Because it preserves what you have, what you've, what you've earned, and what you've saved, but it also leaves legacy. It also guarantees growth. It also guarantees this liquidity. So it is an amazing uh, piece of the arsenal that uh, has a negative stigma, right? <laughs> yeah. And why? Why does it have a negative stigma? I have my opinions. I'd like to hear your opinion. <laughs> well, I'd kind of like to know yours, actually. It's, uh, it's honestly a mystery to me. Uh, I, I've got my theories, but I'd love to know what you think about it. So in my digging into the math, as we talked about, right, the math party is the party that's going to win, right? In digging into the math, what I realized and, and what I've, and what COVID really defined for me was that if at the top, the voice screams and that trickle down effect continues to scream and it screams in all the right areas, then that is got to be factual. It's got to be real. It's got to be true. And so when you when you look at the advertisements that you see on TV, when you look at the fidelity ads and you look and you see those voices are loud in advertising. And on the contrary, the life insurance, well you'll see some some good life insurance, Pacific Life, Northwestern Mutual, they'll, they'll throw some stuff out. They focus their deployment of resources in a different direction which is on gentlemen like you and I. And they rely on us to teach people the right things to do the right way. Um, and quite frankly, I think that our, our voices aren't loud enough to, for the masses, but they're loud enough for the people that, that are in our circle, right? So that's my that's opinion. Great. I like that idea. And you're right. There's a reason why they call it the Wolf of Insurance, right? That was the name of the movie, the Wolf of Insurance, right? No, no, it was <laughs> exactly. the Wolf of Wall Street. That's right. Exactly. Because the fees are going where? Yeah, it's not It's not like there's a, a big fat cat insurance guy taking all your money. I haven't mm-hmm. seen him. I haven't met him. Uh, but there's certainly plenty of money sloshing around in the Wall Street casino. Uh, yeah. And how are we doing? How's that? As Dr. Phil would say, how's that working out for you? Uh, as a country. So you're exactly right, man. And I want to point out one other thing you said that I think is so true. Uh, The word teach, you said it's up to us, you and me, uh, to teach uh, the people who we work with about what this tool is. So it's not on any Super Bowl commercials. I haven't found that yet. Uh, But when we are sitting down, we're there to educate and to explore and to discover together with our clients is this a good fit for you? If it's not, we have other tools in the toolbox. 100%. Right? But if it is, we should at least know it's out there. You know, instead of being funneled into the next index fund or target or worse, target date funds in your 401k. Mm. So I'll quickly for for those, would it help to kind of give kind of a quick primer for those not familiar with what is 
sure. this type of whole life. I know you guys sh- have shared some of that with your clients, but for those who might not know, um, if it's designed properly, uh, there's there's a number of different features that I think are really interesting that most folks don't know about with regard mm-hmm. to whole life insurance. And I use the acronym TGIF to make it easy for everybody. So we got T, we got tax advantages. Uh, it can be even tax-free if you design it properly, but it, mm-hmm. it certainly has tax advantages. You put the money in, it never gets taxed while it's inside the account. And if it's designed properly, you can get the money out totally tax-free, much yep. like a Roth IRA, except without the red tape and restrictions of a Roth IRA. You can use it for things that you want, including college, but also including fixing up the kitchen or yep. buying that next rental property or Tax-free retirement. So the first T is tax-free and tax advantages. The next is guarantees. You mentioned in your list there, Dave, guarantees is what you wanted. Well, this gives us something I think that's at least literally, mathematically speaking, 10 times safer than a bank. And they even give a guarantee that it will grow for us every single year, no matter what the market's doing. So that's pretty phenomenal to have something safer than a bank account that grows better than my bank account. Why is it safer? Because life insurance companies are not allowed to do the tomfoolery that uh, some of these banks are participating in, like fractional reserve banking and and other other things like that. Uh, Life insurance companies are heavily regulated to make sure that your contract does what it promises it would do. Otherwise, they'd be sued out of existence. So we have guaranteed growth, but we also got the gains last year that we earned. Those are locked in and guaranteed, too. So we have guaranteed gains and a guaranteed increase of our cash every year, but we also get the guarantees from last year, safe, protected. They're not going to zap that money with a market meltdown like uh, too many people's 401ks experienced last year. That's G, guarantees. Three, uh, I stands for insurance. So we're automatically creating a legacy for our family. It is life insurance. We'll always leave money, more money than we saved for our family when we put it into one of these contracts. If I put a dollar into a savings account and die tonight, my family gets exactly $1. If I put a dollar into my life insurance policy, I'll have a lot more than $1 to leave my family if I graduate tonight. And then finally, F stands for financing. You become your own source of financing. When you use your policy, you can access it sort of like a bank, almost like a line of credit to yourself. You can borrow against the policy and the policy will continue to compound and grow uh, even on the capital you borrowed, like you hadn't yep. touched the money. So to me, this beats paying cash for any major purchase, whether we're talking about a vacation or a college fund, right? Whether we're talking about a car or a syndication deal in your real estate, uh, being your own source of financing is better than paying cash for those reasons. That's TGIF. Thank you guys for being a part of College Knowledge. Just a reminder, if you're sending your student to school, visit EliteCollegiatePlanning.com for free resources and to book a free consultation. I love it. And I love, you know, there, there's an old expression um, that is, if you can't explain it simply, you don't know it well enough. And I think the idea that you can put TGIF in and explain all the, the real pros of the type of planning um, that we do for families is, is tremendous. Um, you know, I also want to be specific here. Uh, not every insurance policy works like this. Not every carrier has a policy like this. And one of the keys to me in actually being a master or close to a master of, of whole life insurance is the design and build of the contract itself, right? 
anybody can say, hey, you need a $100,000 death benefit. It costs $2,500 a year. Here you go. But if I want to have 50000 in cash and I want to have that death benefit and I want to be able to access that money, it has to be built a different way and it has to use different things. So it's not just a, hey, go buy yourself whole life insurance. That is not what we're saying. We're saying you have to take a look and invest in uh, knowledge on this stuff. Because as, I, as we've said, I think we both reiterated multiple times, there's a lot of noise out there as to what happens. Um, but find an expert in that, right, Mark? I mean, that's what it's about. Oh, yeah. Can't, can't emphasize that more, man. I, I think the, the biggest devastation is you get so close to your destination, you end up in the wrong, the wrong tent. You know, that's, that's, yeah. the, that's the trouble I see with too many people who think they've, they got the right thing. They got a, um, and it has all sorts of nicknames out there on the internet. You know, if yep. you're looking for this, it's going to be called all sorts of things. Uh, and this is part of part of why I think it's so important to work with people who have uh, certifications, designations, people who've gone through the training to become. Uh, there's only one authorization training program I'm familiar with in the industry. It's a uh, bank on yourself. So if mm-hmm. you're a bank on yourself professional, uh, then you have the capacity and training to do this right. There are lots of other nicknames and, you know, that I won't name any on this show, but there's a lot of other nicknames out there that, that make it sound similar to what we're talking about, man. And I had a guy one time, he had $800,000 in four different policies that he had socked away for several years. Uh, and it was a mutually owned company. Okay. It was whole life insurance. So we're check, check, check going down the list. It's yep. got paid up additions in there. Uh, yep. But when we borrowed from the policy, we found out it was a direct recognition loan. Now, what help us know the difference there, Dave. What's the difference between direct and non-direct and why does it matter? Well, yeah, I mean, it's huge. Uh, the direct recognition means if you take the money out, they recognize it as having left the policy and you no longer get the dividend as though the money were in there, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a compounding negative as opposed to a compounding positive. And yeah. so, and the non-direct recognition means you say you have a $800,000 in cash value and you borrow 500,000 out. They didn't directly recognize that money as having left the policy. You borrowed house money, essentially not your money. And they continued to pay the dividend as though that 500,000 was still in the policy. The difference in that is massive. Yeah. Right. One little line in your contract, one little comment, you know, little line in your contract that makes all the difference. You know, a direct recognition policy loan is no better than a withdrawal from your savings account. In fact, it may be worse in some ways because there's interest when you borrow against the policy. Uh, so this yep. is a deal breaker for folks that want to use the tool for a you know a financing source. Um, so yep. if it's designed properly, the good news is all you have to do is get in and up you go. It's like getting in an elevator. You don't have to worry about was the pulley installed correctly. You know, are these uh, gears all well oiled and ready to go? No. If the if the engineer and the serviceman did their job. You just push the button and you get to your destination. That's how it feels when you have a properly structured dividend paying. What'd you say? Dividend paying whole life. We call it bank on yourself designed policies, but it's a dividend paying whole life insurance policy issued by a mutual company with paid up additions with non-direct loans. You see why this gets so hard to just dump into yep. a Super Bowl commercial, but why it's so important to help people understand that, Hey, you know, if you understand this tool, you don't have to remember all the vocabulary. You just have to yep. know where the gas is, where the brakes are, and off you go. That's it. And and I think the other thing that that I always have to caution people on is, well, well I've got I've got I've got a permanent policy. I've got a permanent policy, and, and it's a you know 
a universal life policy or an IUL or one of these other structures, and they just can't. They just cannot do it because the chassis, the the, the foundational structure is off. And I'm not going to get into the deep into the weeds on mortality, morbidity, and all that, and the the way that's done. But a well built non-direct recognition participating whole life policy that we're talking about a bank on yourself policy has all of those mechanisms in it and i want to i want to divert from that because if you if you're not mm-hmm. sold or at least investigating by this conversation i i don't know how to help any further right but i'm also not opposed to market risk or mm-hmm. mutual fund portfolios or roth iras and and quite frankly i'm not, I'm not opposed to 529s as a college expert i'm not opposed to them but they have a use case and mm-hmm. I like them a lot better in certain areas than I do in others. Right. And so give us your philosophy on the rest of the finance. Once you let, let's say if someone was like, Oh my God, Mark's it. I need to talk to him. I'm going to call him tomorrow. And I want to, I want, I want what you were, what you were talking about. And you know, they put a really nice one together. What do you do from there? What, oh, what permission slips does it provide? Well, if they, found this episode, I point them right back to you, first of all, Dave, because you're an expert in this and they should be working with you. So everybody give him a call. Uh, but to answer your question and, and to relate back to what you said earlier, if you know, I've got no problem with a sandwich. Yeah. But if all I have is a sandwich, that's a problem. And too many Americans, all they have is a sandwich, uh, yeah. maybe a sandwich and a driver, but that's all they've got. And that does not get you through your golf game very well. If all you have is your home equity and your 401k, that does not get you through your life very well. And what's the Federal Reserve study came out and said that the average American has less than $400 in liquid cash savings that they could use for an emergency. Uh, that's a, that's a, you know, catastrophe waiting, just waiting to happen right there. So yes, using the whole life insurance as sort of a bedrock foundation. And I treat it almost like my money's garage. Okay. So the way I view my policies is I'll borrow against my policy, not just for consumables like cars and vacations, but I use it when I'm going to go put my money to work in investments too. Mm -hmm. Because why? Well, it sure beats putting that money in as cash. If I just go put money into an IRA, which, uh, you know, is so limited, you know, you can only put in 6,500 bucks a year if you're under 50 and was it 7,000 a year if you're over 50, um, or if I, if I find a really great real estate deal, I have a choice. I can either take money out of my savings account and go put it into the syndication deal or the real estate deal. Now, all I have is the real estate deal. Mm-hmm. That's one option. Or I can access the money from my policy, still go invest. Maybe that real estate deal does an incredible 12%. Wow, that's awesome. If all I had was cash, that's all I'd have is the 12%. But if I borrow from my policy to go get that real estate deal, not only do I get the 12%, but I also get the compound growth. You know, it's middle single digits, but it's on the entire policy value, even the account value that I pulled out. So I just added additional return to my investment without any additional beta or market risk. That to me beats any other way to invest. Now, yes, absolutely. You need to go reach for yield especially as we're hitting higher inflation, like we're hitting uh, the skids on our economy right now. And it'll be the guys like you and like me that have policies, liquid, accessible funds. When the market does tank, when we can borrow against those policies to go take advantage of opportunities when they go on sale, whether it's real estate or crypto or 
you know, stocks, bonds, whatever yeah. else. So yes, absolutely. You need a broadly diversified portfolio with multiple asset classes. You need eggs, not just in 12 baskets, you need 12 different trucks full of eggs. So in case yeah. one of them goes off a cliff, we're not in big trouble. Yeah. And, and you bring up a great point that I think we should discuss a little bit, which is diversification, because this theory that exists or this common notion of a diversification that if I have a million dollars and I go and buy it and all these different mutual funds, I'm diversified. What are you diversified from? You're diversified from the success or failure of one institution versus another institution, one company versus another company. That's your diversification. What we talk about is product diversification, having an actual purpose for the money, right? I love the idea that um, if I if I have a well-built secure mechanism on one side that gives me the liquidity, the growth, the access, all the stuff that you talk about, then if of that million, let's say I put 300,000 in that compartment and then I took 300,000 and I put it in a... a somewhere in the middle, right? Something that was conservative, but a little more aggressive. Then I have the permission to throttle down my risk on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so what people do in this risk tolerance world that we're in, in this diversification idea is they, they believe they're diversifying their portfolio in, in mutual funds or whatever it is. And that's true diversification. But if the market contracts, the market contracts, right? And everything loses money. And so you haven't really diversified against anything in that particular instance, right? Right. And the idea that um, I'm going to protect some money and be willing to take more risk and buy myself a time horizon because in, and, and maybe your opinion is best on this time to me is everything, right? Risk is only a measure of time from my perspective, right? Because if I have 20 years before I'm going to touch that dollar, well, then I have a different risk tolerance than if I have three years. And so the, the length of time is it. And so I think this idea of diversification inside of a portfolio is, is ludicrous. Rather, I like the diversification across products to have mm -hmm. a, like a, a, I don't know, global, so a global portfolio, right? Whatever you want to call it. But uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, you bring up a good point. You know, we call this non-correlated assets where you have assets, not just on you know, in 12 different baskets, but on multiple trucks, meaning when one asset falls off a cliff, like we did in 2022, you have some other money that's safe and protected against that optionality or that, that risk. Right. Mm -hmm. So the interesting piece to this is I kind of, I, I like lifting weights. I'm, I'm trying to get a little, you know, a little bit more weight lifting time in my day. And I was thinking about it as I was lifting a barbell earlier today, how do you lift a barbell? You put uh, one pressure on one side, and then you put an equal pressure on the other side. And this yep. is true in the, you know, the efficient market, uh, the, the efficient horizon, right. Of, of uh, any good portfolio, if you have a risk-free asset on one side and you have a risk asset on the other side, then you can actually take more risk and have higher returns than if you just threw all your money into the risk portfolio side of your portfolio. What am I talking about? Well, if all we have is stocks, then I actually have to dial back my risk and I, I have a lower return due to downside, you know, optionality and, and, and beta there. So the volatility of the market actually yanks down my return uh, because I've thrown too much money into the risk pool. So yep. it's a little counterintuitive. But if you put some money over on the risk free side, like whole life insurance would be in this case guaranteed to grow for us 
guaranteed yep. not to lose principal. And we also have money in our stock portfolios. You can actually afford to take more risk, make smart decisions, not speculative, just you know, throw it in the in the air and hope, but smart decisions on your portfolio. You'll have a higher return. And you brought up uh, this idea of sequence of returns risk earlier. You yep. know, maybe tell us a bit about how whole life insurance helps guard against the problem of market, you know, madness like we had in 2022. Yeah, I mean, so so let, let's just use a hundred thousand in in two pools, and the hundred thousand on one side is in a whole life contract. It's we've already talked about the guarantee, we've already talked about the dividend production. That is not subject to market risk in any way, shape, or form, right? It does what it's going to do. It's a guaranteed instrument, right? Now the the dividend's not guaranteed. And I have to be clear about that, but the the cash value that you have in it is guaranteed. On the other side, you get a return. It's it's you know three years up three years down, your average rate of return, it's, oh, my average return is 12 or 15%, but you're actually kind of at ground zero on that thing, right? Yeah, I'm not, and, I'm no fan of averages as my show's no. title, not your average financial podcast. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, go go on, man. You're exactly right. That sometimes the averages can be misleading. Yeah. So you feel like you've done a, a great job because your average rate of return is high, which is a, a very, first of all, you should just ignore that, that statistic altogether in a portfolio. But the idea that we did get return on this side. And so in a down year, you have a piece of your portfolio still going up. Right. Yeah, and I right think on. that's the, that's the key to this whole thing. And that's another reason why I absolutely love annuities. And I don't know, we, we can, we can dovetail into that, but um, the idea that I can buy something without risk, participate in upside, protect from the downside, right. All boats rise in high tide. Mm-hmm. The question is when the tide goes out, what happens to your portfolio? And if you're in one of those diversified strategies in a mutual fund portfolio, tide goes out, everything goes down. But if you have a portion of your money in that that life or even in that annuity for that matter, tide goes out and you don't lose traction. And then you don't have to make up that loss to get back to ground zero before you start actually generating a return. And I, I, I got to say, Dave Ramsey is uh, waiting. He's been pounded on the door to get into this uh, conversation. So, um, you know, he's he's not a fan of annuities either, but I totally no. agree with what you just said. So what is this help your clients accomplish? Like what difference does this make when, when you see people implement some of the strategy, I'm being the interviewer here for a minute, but what do you see? What do you see on your side of the table and how are your clients impacted when you implement strategies like we're discussing today? Yeah. And and you know this well, Um, but that sigh of relief that exists when a true plan is laid in front of someone and it is thought out with risk, reward, benefits, and guarantees people stop worrying. And if, if there's anything I can say on, on the other side of this is panic ensues financial hardship. When you panic, as an economy panics, it creates the financial lunacy that we have going on with the volatility. So when you get a subset of people that don't panic, they don't have to panic, right? They know that, hey, if this happens, I've got this. If this happens, I've got that. Um, you eliminate some of that volatility that exists. And so I, the, the biggest, the, the, the deep breath that is, hey, we've got this fully completed plan. And, and that's something else that we didn't talk about. But when you build and use the life insurance as a foundation, it gives you the permission slip to use all of your other resources and still leave something to your estate to still give and the best kind of gift because it's tax free and it's wealth transfer, right? 
So what what is better than a self-completing plan? I talk about redundancy all the time. There's two places that I require redundancy in my life. Number one is on an airplane. Number two is in a financial plan, right? Oh, I like that. I've never really thought about it that way, but you're exactly right. You've given yourself some backups to your backups. You want that redundancy because you can't, you know, you can't go back and redo the crashed airplane and you can't go no. back and redo a crashed financial plan. You know, life is like toilet paper rolls, man. It only rolls in one direction. And the more you yeah. use it, the faster it goes. Uh, so I'm told. Yeah. So, so yeah. absolutely. That's, that's great to think about your financial plan uh, and, and to find out truly that it changes how you feel when you open up your account statements, when the markets are all red all the time and your account is hitting another all-time record high this year, and it's going to hit another all-time record high next year and the next and the next. What do you think that does to people's like psyche? You know, what does it do to their heart rate, uh, to their blood pressure? What does it do to the suicide rate, the divorce rate, graduation yep. rate? And we haven't even talked about how this tool implements and fits into the college picture yet. But you know, yeah. it's it's just a tool that I think it's just a tool. All right, so we're yep. going to be clear about that. And if I could, if I could choose between Tiger Woods golf clubs or his swing, I'd choose the swing certainly. Yep. But, 100%. you know, I, I want to make sure that I know that, hey, where's the ball lying? What can, what's the right tool to use in this circumstance? I don't want to grab my driver when I'm on the, you know, when I'm, you know, in the sand. Uh, yep. And I don't want to use the wrong financial tool like a stock based account when I'm trying to use that money this weekend to, you know, invest in some real estate or or go on a vacation. You know, it's the I see people who are using the wrong tools for the wrong projects and and it ultimately ends in pain. So find that, find that person that you trust that elevator service guy or gal to build yep. something properly for you. So all you have to do is get in, push the button and up you go. Yeah. So let, let's transition and, and discuss a little bit of the, on the, on the college side, because we, you and I have a very similar philosophies on money and finance. I think it's obvious based on uh, our conversation to this point. Um, but you have created all of your plans without this target of college in mind, right? I mean, not that you don't, not that you're not paying attention to it. I don't mean to say that because I think you're an excellent, but the idea that, you know, you're, you're, you kind of ride the bank on yourself ideal. What we did was we then took that and said, okay, well, how about college? Is this a, a structure that we can use for college? And I get the question constantly about college and the 529. Should I use the 529? It's the only college vehicle, Mark. It's the only thing right. you can use, right? What people don't know about the 529 is that there's this little equation that the federal government runs, and it's called the expected family contribution. And any money in a 529 is a parental asset for that formula. And that means all you have six kids, and you each have 100000 for each kid. You have six hundred thousand dollars in assets that go against what you will pay for college. It will increase the what you'll pay for college penalty, penalty, right? You pay more just because you've saved responsibly, right? But it's the only thing you can do for college, Mark. That's I mean, it's it's and if you go to, uh, I I would venture to say ninety percent of financial advisors, you say college, they say five two nine, they get a piece, they get their commission, they get their ongoing wrap fees, whatever it is on those accounts, right? What we found was the life insurance cash value, if built the way we're talking about, 
I don't have to disclose it to the school. And therefore, guess what? I didn't overinflate my college tuition price. And I then can do what? Because it's liquid. We can do what with it, Mark? We can use it to pay. Yeah. Keep it so, in motion. And, and, and it continues to grow like you didn't send that kid to college, uh, which correct. changes and everything. And you rebuild your estate. You have mm-hmm. the gift. So it's, it's, again, concept of can you get more than one turn yeah. on the same dollar bill? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this quick story, um, but uh, we just had a lady. She's going to have to, she didn't use your services, guys. You know, we should, we should have got her over to you. I, I tried, I tried to send her over, but she was unwilling. And now she has a bill of $80,000 a year for the next four years. Now it's a great college, I'm sure, but I bet you, you guys, uh, you and Joe could have lowered that down dramatically. But anyway, now she's got this bill. She happens yep. to have enough money in her policy to to cover it. So she's going to take from the policy to cover the tuition for the next four years. Uh, And now what does she have? She has a pretty large policy loan against this, this life insurance that she's taken out. Okay. That's that we got to deal with that. But we also have whatever that is, $320,000 of compound growth in our policy that we wouldn't have had if we had just spent it out of a five, two, nine, or one of these other, you know, kind of lackluster accounts. But then things get really interesting. She has a deal with her son and they've agreed that he's going to pay her back like mm. a, like a student loan to mom, basically. Now help me think this one through. Uh, help me think this one through Dave. Who does that benefit when he pays her back instead of going to Sally Mae or Nelnet? Who does that actually benefit? Well, that's a, that's a multi-generational question, there, Mark. <laughs> yeah. uh, first it benefits the policy cash value all over again. Right, because once that's put back, uninterrupted compound growth is restored in the policy, and there it is. You can use it all over again. So her retirement is secured, and and things are good. But I would argue that the person who really benefits is the beneficiary, who in this case I'm assuming is the son son, that is paying Mm -hmm. the money back. And not only is he going to pay back with less interest and less burden, but he is going to get a multiple of that amount of money in a death benefit wealth transfer at some point tax free. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right because the death benefit is way more than the 320,000 that he paid mom back with. And you're exactly right. He's investing in his own inheritance someday yeah. uh, with no taxes due. You know, the income tax system doesn't count your life insurance death benefits. So this this has huge ramifications not just for your retirement guys, but for your next several generations. And yeah. if college is just a four-year proposition, I I'd, I'd like to counter that and say no. You don't just stop teaching your kid when they leave the house. They're part of your wealth. They're the best asset you have in your portfolio. Yep. They're part of your wealth creation system. You, you could have a family bank, in essence, that goes on for generations, like we've seen done with the Rothschilds and more, if yep. you have the eyes to see. All right. And I know we're winding down here, but I want to, I want to make this one comment that it was really the inspiration behind my digging into the insurance side of things was this idea that every time I came around a wealthy family, the insurance was always just in front and present in the, and I'm talking multi-generational wealth, like big time families, Right. And so I always wondered because there's this other phrase that's thrown out all the time, which is the rich get richer. Right. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm talking to wealthy families and they're always looking at, at the life insurance. They're always talking about life insurance, whether it's their estate plan, whether it's an irrevocable life insurance trust, whether it's some other trust document that has life insurance funding in it, whether it's a, uh, you know, a, uh, 
special needs trust. Life insurance just comes up. Then I dug into the business succession planning and it's life insurance. And I'm going, okay, something, if the rich get richer because they use life insurance, can I take that methodology and apply it to the everyday American? And if I can, can I make that family just a little bit wealthier along the way doing it? And it became very apparent that what's good for the wealthy is also good for middle America. You just, you're not going to run into the same tax reasons that they do some of the plans, but you're going to get the same benefits of the types of plans they create. And so I like to say it's sophistication. It's, it's simple, but it's sophisticated, right? That's what we do. It's simple, but sophisticated. That's great. You have to understand it. So. Mm -hmm. Couldn't have said it better myself, man. Yeah. You look, look to where the wealthy are putting their money and then go do that. Yeah. All right. I mean, that's how I built my entire business was looking at what successful people did and trying yeah. to duplicate it. Right. Don't so. listen to your um, you know, investment broker. There's a reason why the word broke is in the name. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. Um, any, any ideas? And, and again, right. Some, a lot of people that, that are going to be listening to this, they're in college. They've got, they're going to take on that. That they have to, what can they do to try and eliminate the debt and turn it into something beneficial for themselves? Well, I, I can tell you my story quickly. Uh, we graduated with our three private school degrees between us. We didn't know about you back then, man. Uh, we had $120,000 of student loan debt ourselves. And this is in 2008 when everybody was hiring. You know, it was a great economy. <laughs> so we had a mega, like, it felt like a mortgage payment, like an albatross around our neck every month, that monthly student loan payment. And so, yeah, we, we stumbled across this concept of bank on yourself. We opened up some policies. We threw every penny we comfortably could, uh, challenged ourselves to, you know, live on as little as we could. And we just mm -hmm. flooded that policy with as much money as we could so that we got to a point where our, our student loans were slowly coming down, paying the minimums on those. Mm -hmm. Flooding our policy was building up that wealth quickly. So one at a time, we threw money at the student loans and wiped out the debt borrowing from our cash value life insurance to do so this allowed us to not just be debt free but sorry dave ramsey we're better than debt free and we're glad to say that it's a uh, strategy we've helped uh, hundreds of other clients do the same with as well yeah and it, and it it doesn't just have to be school debt or tuition debt it's debt in general it's the way and i think there's a there's a and i get so insulted when i listen to dave ramsey because of it is his first of all the, the pompous nature of his insults at people. Oh, you're just an idiot. Like, no, come on, man. Like people, people don't know what they don't know. So your job is to teach them not to chastise, but that's right. my own personal opinion. Um, the idea that you can use a vehicle uh, to fix the now and better the future at the same time, I think is tremendous and remarkable. And to uh, people get, Get, they get stressed by the burden of debt rather than trying to dig in and understand it and understand how money works and understand how you can better it and create, you know, take a negative, put it in a positive, whatever, whatever cliche you want to use. But the idea is, is you have to, ha you have to have the knowledge in the arsenal. And I think if we go back to this whole thing and Mark, I know this to be true on my side and I'm assuming uh, it's true on your side. I consider myself a teacher first, right? I have to teach people what they mm -hmm. don't know before yep. I can say, Hey, sign here. Oh, literally, I, I do. A, I literally do tests and quizzes and everything uh, with folks before they'll become a client of mine. I, I make sure everyone goes through and proves to me they know what they're doing. You know, it just yeah. helps them. It helps me too, candidly. Yeah, and that that whole little exchange we went through back and forth. I do a, a what's called a college investment stress test with everyone, 
And it's like, hey, check the boxes, the things that are important. Check the boxes, the things that you want to have happen. And oh, by the way, if college only costs 20 and you saved 40, would you want to have access to the other 20 or would you want to have to take a tax burden to get that money back out? So mm. again, uh, from a college perspective, everybody got to dig into this. This is not, this is not a one size fits all. And, and even the life insurance is not an appropriate weapon for everybody. That's it's right. not an appropriate tool. You have to understand your particular financial situation. And I'll, I'll tell you the first meeting I have with any client typically runs an hour and a half to two hours. And the first thing they have to do for me is fill out a budget. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't know where your money goes on a monthly basis and how much you have left and, and whether you're, you got, you got uh, holes in the canoe or not, right. You can't do proper planning. You have to, and I'm not, I never tell anyone you have to pick a number and live on that budget. What I tell them is you have to understand what your lifestyle costs, period. And if you are okay with your lifestyle costing that, then fine. Here's the extent of the plan you can create. But if you're not okay with your lifestyle costing that, what are you going to do to change it? And how are you preventing? And this is my favorite statement that I'll end with, and then I'll let you kind of wrap up. But um, what are you doing today to prevent what happened in 2022, which happened in 2008, from happening in the future for you? What are you doing differently? Right? And most people will... Oh, Nothing. I'm, I've been pumping into my 401k for 30 years, never thinking differently about it. And I, I, I will also say I'm not against 401ks by any standards, but understand the tool that you have there, right? All right. The floor is yours, Mark. Yeah, we did big time, man. We could keep going. It's been a lot of fun. Your comments, I think it just, it's the reason why we had you on our show. So everyone, uh, you know, just if you, if you're getting a sense that there's something different here about this conversation, uh, don't let it stop with one episode, you know, keep, digging into subscribe to the college knowledge podcast, give them a five-star review, you know, make sure it's uh, all of what you share with all your friends. Most people find new podcast shows, not because they're searching on iTunes or, or whatever Apple podcasts, but because their friends told them about it. So get this podcast out there to everybody so that they can hear what's going on with college yeah, knowledge and, and these guys. So, and that same note, don't, do not hesitate to listen to not your average financial podcast. It is. Oh, I was excellent. getting there, man. I wasn't just blowing okay. smoke I, up your dress I, or anything. I, I was, thought you. I yeah, thought you yeah. were just plugging me get here. There. I'm, I'm going. You're here for that. So go ahead. I'm going to get you're there. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to get to uh, dig into this strategy some more, check out not your average financial podcast. Uh, we just are just shy of 300 episodes. Wow. And uh, Dave and Joe were episode 298. So you guys are right up there. We're gonna have to get you back on uh, when we get into the free zone. But uh, you're. You guys, uh, there is more out there than just what you're being told uh, by yep. your investment advisor. And as you can see, there's strategies that can help you not just have a, a more successful financial life, but one that's more sane at the same time. Absolutely. Love it. Mark, thank you for coming on the show. Everyone, this has been College Knowledge. We can send your student to the school of their dreams and send you to your dream retirement. Visit us at EliteCollegiatePlanning.com to get started. Thanks for listening to the College Knowledge Podcast with your hosts, Dave Kozak and Joe Kearns. We hope you enjoyed this week's exploration of higher education, sponsored by the College Planning Network and Paradigm Financial Group. That's all for this episode. See you next time.